Welcome to Canada's podcast. So Jeff and Paul, welcome to Canada's podcast. I've really been looking forward to this session. Um, but before we get rolling, you know, uh, we'll start with you, Jeff. Uh, why don't you just give us a little bit about who you are, who Jeff Sear is, uh, you know, um, what you do at Raven, you know, you know, what your objectives are and things like that. And Paul, maybe you can follow on from that. Okay. Sure. Sure. Thanks, Philip, for for inviting us onto the podcast first and foremost. And it's good to do a podcast with Paul together because we don't get that opportunity too much. Um, so as as you mentioned, my name is Jeff Sear. Uh, my my traditional name is Kinu Kinu Inane, which means Eagle Man Leading. I hail from the uh, traditional Métis territory of the Whitehorse Plains area in southern Manitoba, which is the Buffalo Hunt staging ground. Uh, I now um, uh, live, work, and sometimes play an unceded Algonquin territory here in Ottawa. Um, I am a, uh, my, my mother is Vivian Sear and my father is Brian Sear, uh, both back in our traditional territory. And uh, my wife is Nicole McDonald, and I have five children, they're pretty much all adult children at this stage, going to university. And I am the managing partner uh, for Raven Indigenous Capital Partners. So there, there's that sort of quick bio. Um, and uh, I know Paul will do his. And I will say very briefly. What's, what's your focus, Jeff, within, within, within uh, Raven Indigenous Capital Partners? Ah, well, I, you know, I, I, I guess my focus is on um, you know, uh, raising and deploying Indigenous-led capital mm-hmm. into Indigenous social enterprises uh, mm-hmm. for the benefit of our people to build a robust and resilient Indigenous economy. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, in my role uh, in particular, um, like Paul and others, but I'm focused on sort of the broad strategic interplay of capital in the space, creating value with these companies, really doing something different with money than what's traditionally been extractive uh, on and with our people. And venture capital is traditionally extractive too, mm-hmm. uh, since its emergence, you know, uh, um, you know, in the, in the late seventies and early eighties in Silicon Valley. So that's the role that I play. Uh, I also um, do a lot of work on social finance instruments, which we call community driven outcomes contracts and, and trying to lead some work uh, around uh, type two diabetes reduction in indigenous communities through a through a social finance mechanism. Paul, over to you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Philip, and 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 like Jeff, I wanted to to say uh, uh, and communicate our appreciation uh, for for the invite. Um, uh, so uh, so I'm uh, Paul Assert. My my traditional name is Gilam Gilo. I'm uh, born and raised in, in my, uh, my home territory, which is the Carrier uh, Territory in North Central British Columbia. And, and my, my First Nation community is called Notley Waten. Um, and I'm a, a member of the Caribou Clan there, um, which, which holds great significance for me as we are a matrilineal society um, and we're a potlatch culture. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, yeah. As I said, uh, you know, born born and raised in my territory, I, I now live and work uh, here in the traditional lands of the Lekwungen speaking people, which is the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise known as Victoria, British Columbia. 
Um, and uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a managing partner together with Jeff uh, for Raven Indigenous Capital Partners. We are an Indigenous owned and Indigenous led um, uh, you know, firm, I guess. And, and uh, we're, we're, we're known as a financial intermediary and, and why that's important, I think, for, for Jeff and I and for our other partner, Stephen Naren, is that, you know, we're living in the space in between. We're, we're living and working in the space in between um, where, where the capital lives and where Indigenous people live. And, and, and as Jeff said, Philip, our, our, you know, the purpose uh, for, uh, of our work and the intention of our work is to facilitate the flow of capital towards solutions in the indigenous space as defined by our people. And so um, being the first of our kind in Canada as an indigenous owned financial intermediary and raising the first ever indigenous owned impact fund in, in Canada. And, and we think, you know, at least in North America, if not in the world, um, it was important for us right away to define success through an indigenous cultural lens um, and through, uh, you know, the, the eyes of, of real indigenous people in real indigenous communities in Canada. And, and that has to a certain extent been about flipping the paradigm, um, both in, in what Jeff was saying around, uh, you know, social finance arrangements and also just in, the, in, in a traditional investing space, shifting the paradigm so that it's really indigenous people that are in the driver's seat as opposed to government or investors. Um, and that's, that's really the, 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 the trajectory that we're on. Just, just a little, uh, you know, uh, clarification for those that aren't familiar with indigenous culture is why choose the name Raven? You know, one of you can, can jump in on that because people don't, don't, don't know this, the, the symbolism in terms of indigenous side of it. And I'd, I'd like you, people to be clear on that. Yeah, I think I, I, I'll, I'll ask my brother to, to share a little bit about it as well. But uh, I would say uh, for, for two reasons, uh, from my perspective, uh, one is that, you know, in, in many Indigenous cultures in Canada, we have, look, we have over 50 Indigenous languages in Canada, and many of them are as different from each other as mm -hmm. French and German mm -hmm. are uh, from each other. And, and, and of course, inside each of those Indigenous cultures, you have resident epistemologies and teachings. Um, and one of the things that we wanted to uh, find was something that is held to be sacred, an identity that is held to be sacred in mm -hmm. Indigenous cultures all over, you know, Canada, North America, we call that Turtle Island. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the raven is really held to be something that is sacred in Indigenous cultures all over Turtle Island. And, and this is a, a coast to coast to coast um, uh, you know, approach. And so we wanted, um, a, to land on something that, that had sacredness and was recognized across Canada. And the second is, is the spirit of innovation, um, that, that, you know, folks often see a bit playful, uh, you know, with, with the Raven, some people even say trickster. Um, but, but at the core of it is really a recognition of, of the power of, of being generative and being innovative um, is really the spirit that that and and the recognition that indigenous cultures all over Turtle Island hold uh, when they when they think about and talk about and talk about the ravens. So 
I don't know, Jeff, if you have anything to add. Yeah, just, uh, you know, Paul did a great job there. I, it's one small thing is, you know, Raven's a central figure in a lot of creation stories too, um, mm-hmm. across Turtle Island. And um, that comes to symbolize sort of transformation and rebirth um, out of that. And, and the Raven is the symbol of that. And it usually plays a key role in that. And I think it's uh, one of the things that attracted us to Raven as a name representing what we are trying to do as a firm. So, so I'm going to, as, I mean, you know, you're entrepreneurs with, with, within this framework. Um, you know, what's been the biggest single challenge in the journey so far uh, of, of Raven Capital Partners? You know, Paul, you go first, you know, whichever. What has been our biggest, single biggest challenge so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say I really appreciate that question, uh, Philip. And, and I would say it's been a challenge and, and an opportunity um, for us, which is to, to enter into and participate in a system and a set of relationships that have like generational inertia around risk and return that that notwithstanding that we are working with uh folks in an ecosystem that want to use their money for good okay there there's this desire in the impact investing space to use use money for good the systems that have been built around um, the way that that discipline is 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 seen and perceived in the context of capital has largely been about risk and return, um, and 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 the 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 responsibility that we have and the opportunity that we have um, is to uh, shift that lens so that it's risk, return, and impact, and that in the context of impact that we are able to um, grow a, a collective set of understandings and a collective set of values and priorities so that the impact that we're having makes sense for Indigenous people. We've largely been invisible, um, uh, you know, Philip, in, in the investing mm-hmm. ecosystem, particularly in the venture capital ecosystem. Indigenous people have certainly not um, uh, been positioned as investors, yeah, I- um, and and in large part, indigenous people have really struggled to gain access to all forms of capital. And when we do gain access to capital, it is at terms based on terms defined outside of our interests. And so there is an incredible amount of intergenerational structuring and inertia in, in, in reinforcing those systems. And, and I would say our, our biggest challenge, which could also be seen as an opportunity, is to reimagine those systems uh, and those values in a way that is defined by our Indigenous worldview okay. and works for Indigenous people. Otherwise, we're going to reinvent the capitalist systems that have landed Indigenous people in, in the in the in the situations that that we find ourselves in. Just thinking a bit, a bit about the reinvention. I'm going to throw this one at you, Jeff. Um, 
what, why is your approach, Raven's approach, good for indigenous peoples? I understand it would be, but and and good for investors. You know, where do you, how 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 do you get that balance? Because I, I think a lot of people would 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 sort of you have that question. Sure. Yeah, and this this goes back to a lot of what Paul just said too, in terms of where the challenges are. So that this is a balancing act that that we do on on a daily basis within Raven. And it's the idea that you can do economics differently and that you can get good results, but you can actually layer inside that a set of values uh, that follows Indigenous epistemology. Now, to make that real, I think I would, you know, maybe put it as a somewhat of an example. Um, we in the fund, you know, the, the promise to investors is, is a sort of a six to eight, seven to nine percent IRR on the fund. Mm-hmm. And that is not typical of venture capital by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, most funds, you know, would shoot for expectations somewhere between 15 and 19 percent overall. Yeah. But we have a a responsibility to our people, which is why we're doing this. And if we are not as extractive of the value of those companies to hit those sorts of returns, then it allows us to make different decisions with entrepreneurs along the way. But how you structure deals, how you keep um, value, and I mean value of a company, but also value of people and, and value of that experience inside the hands of Indigenous people. So we're not trying to extract as much wealth from the companies. That means our approach going into it is different. So we structure different deals, deal terms and term sheets as a result. This has been good, of course, for the Indigenous investees, but it's also good for uh, the folks who invest in us because they get an example of how you can probably do economics differently. Why would that be important to them? Well, you know, we wouldn't have maybe massive issues with climate change or uh, extreme issues of income inequality if we started to think differently about the role that money plays and how it plays and how it can be used. I think it's an extremely important point is they benefited from well, uh, from as well, because what we have in society today, and it's worse during the pandemic than it ever has been is a massively increasing gap between rich or poor, it largely falls into the hands of very, very rich people. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a fairly critical way of working differently. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys, you know, what about your partners? I mean, it's, you know, you know, it's Raven Capital Partners. I, I, one of the things I was curious about is, you know, so, some you can be more public than, than others, but you know, is is there is there kind of a model partner that, that you you know you've been at this for a little while now that you're finding, or is is that a kind of dumb dumbass thing kind of thing? No, I mean we're we're <clears throat> look we have we have thirty six investors mm-hmm. um, in in the fund, um, and so we we. We see those as relationships, Philip, and 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 on the investor side, you know, we have 
organizations and institutions that have invested here in Canada. We have some investors from the United States. We have some high net worth uh, individuals who, who have invested. Um, and, and what we hear consistently from, from those as, as in investors um, is that they um, are looking for and have been looking for investable products in the reconciliation space. That folks have been looking for a, a, a balance of, of discipline in the way that we make investments and deploy capital um, and, and a level of cultural integrity, like authenticity in the Indigenous space. It's hard to come by. A lot, a lot, you, you get lots of uh, uh, rental approaches <laughs> to to relationships in in the indigenous space, and and what we've been what we've actually screened for, and 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 been really grateful for is is that you know to the extent that you would see our investors as partners, um, that there there is a genuine interest to, to Jeff's exact point on thinking about their return on investment differently, on, on thinking about blended returns as opposed to what you might see in a traditional VC environment, which is, you know, just, just straight up aggressive returns because they're taking a bigger risk. And folks are, are increasingly on the investor side willing to, to hear about returns for Indigenous people in ways that might be really brand new for them. And so, you know, to your question, the kind of partners that that we are attracting as investors, as or as as um, as ecosystem partners, you know, here in Canada, are genuinely curious. I think there is a genuine desire to and willingness to say that they don't really understand the indigenous space, and that it and and that it can be easy to be scared of the indigenous space because you don't want to make a mistake, you don't want to offend people. You know, you don't want to step on a cultural landmine. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they've been really warmly welcoming us as financial intermediaries. We almost play a, a translator function in helping to guide people that really want to lean into relationships with Indigenous people through the exchange of, of, of investment capital. We've been able to help to facilitate that. And, and I wanted to, to get Jeff to, to add on to this. I think this is a, an important question. Just before you jump in, Jeff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be one of those annoying hosts that kind of stops you. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, this is something we, we, we discussed, you know, before. Is this part of the sort of decolonization uh, kind of movement? That, that I mean, you know, I obviously have lots of Indigenous friends that, that I see happening are you trying to push this into the capital space kind of thing can you kind of answer it sort of more from that perspective jeff from the perspective of the desire to people to support decolonization yeah 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 i, I would probably flip your language around philip i would say okay, it's that's a, okay that's fine it's a desire to support reconciliation mm -hmm. as paul said because yeah they're there are different concepts in, mm -hmm. in at, at play here. And, you know, all credit goes to all the elders and uh, all of our ancestors involved in the residential school movement and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's work because they really led, they really opened the door to a reconciliation movement and, and lots of folks before us in that space. What Paul hit you know, the nail on the head for is that I think. Um, the, the common everyday average Canadian 
and the common everyday average investor um, may be motivated to make investments in reconciliation and doesn't really know how to do that. There aren't really vehicles in the space. And so our, the Raven Fund One, the Impact Fund One, is really a vehicle in the space, that the first of its kind okay. where folks can participate. And it motivated them towards that. The one thing I wanted to add to what Paul said before was, if I may, is that as we, the nature of the type of investor that's come into uh, Raven has shifted and evolved over time. When we were first starting out, the, this investor was a, a, a smaller cap, uh, you know, either a small foundation or high net worth individual uh, in Canada. That's increased to very large foundations coming out of the US. And the reason is important. It's because there's a broad-based movement around, for lack of better words, inclusion and diversity in the finance space and a recognition that things are topsy-turvy in that space, that they, all those big, and there's a lot more capital in the United States, all those funds are starting to look for how do we invest in Latinx and, and Black-led uh, funds and organizations and Indigenous. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that the, the, there's certainly some energy behind that in the ecosystem now. So, I mean, so there's, there's quite a number of BIPOC-focused fund managers around, you know, either one of you can answer this. What kind of advice would you, would, would you pass on to those in terms of you know, not, not just Raven Capital, but, you know, emerging funds like yourself uh, in, terms, in terms of involvement? Yeah, I would, I would say two things. Uh, one is... Um, you know, to the every extent possible, you know, stand your stand your ground um, for establish and stand by your values framework. Um, that there is an expectation and a, and it's almost a trap, Philip, uh, in in the investor world that if uh, you know deference to investors, be their institutional or high net worth, deference mm-hmm. to their values framework, their approaches, their lexicon. Um, e- equals an increase in in the le- in their level of investment, and what we have found is that you know the extent to which you can take a risk and stand by your values, even if it feels uncomfortable or new, mm-hmm. um, it that that investors will come around. And so, for folks in the BIPOC space, you know, I would say establish a, a values framework and stand stand your ground. Um, and the second is, is, you know, very firmly, and this is probably the most important for me, um, is to very clearly define and measure what impact means to you in your, in your context. And, and in the BIPOC space in particular, you have so many cultural drivers and, 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 and variances around, not just around ethnicity, but around um, uh, immigration and, and new Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, and a gender lens and a gender lens that is on top of, uh, um, a, you know, a, a race-based lens. Um, so that impact looks really different for a South Asian woman who is a first-generation Canadian than it does for an old, older white male who's been an investment manager um, or, you know, for the last 25 years. And, and yeah. sometimes the, 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 the understandings of impact are like miles apart from each yeah, other. Yeah, I definitely get that. Underlying values around that. So, 
So I would say understand and measure impact in a way that makes sense for the for the intended beneficiaries of the work that you're undertaking. Yeah, yeah. both of you really. But there, I mean, I just wanted some examples if you could give me. Are there any kind of entrepreneurial journeys underway that you can discuss that might that might sort of you know be a good exemplar of uh, of really where where you're trying to drive uh, there may not be I, I don't know sure i mean i think all of our founders and entrepreneurs that we invest in are amazing people uh, mm -hmm. first of all uh, and they they're the ones that kind of get me out of bed in the morning get me excited to go to work go to the computer and do the work um yeah who, who would i highlight um i would highlight uh bobby Rossette from virtual gurus virtual mm -hmm. gurus is a uh is a two-sided marketplace talent mm -hmm. as a service solution but it's bobby's story that's more interesting and i would put it as she was in the oil patch um mm -hmm. uh, as a lgbtq woman who got laid off through i think it was three and a half years ago four years ago now mm -hmm. with a downturn in the oil patch and turned it around to build a company that basically provides virtual uh, talent. We often think of it as virtual assistants, but they do so much more than what we'd consider an assistant, executive assistants and, and that. Um, and then really is digging deep into rural and remote communities to find the indigenous talent pool and other talent pool and connect it across Canada with companies and then across the US. And it's, it's a smart, savvy, hockey stick growing business Mm -hmm. that um, also has a, a deep moral core about how to support Indigenous communities, how to support Indigenous people, builds an academy internally to help, you know, um, upskill folks in that sort of way. Um, so much so that even I went out and got a virtual assistant <laughs> to help out. So, yeah, it's, it's a great entrepreneurial storyline uh, of yeah. really sort of tenacity. You, you know, Paul, I was looking at the website and and... Can you explain the Solutions Lab was was pretty interesting. Um, can you explain that a little bit more, Paul? I, I think uh, I, I was I was really interested, so I wanted to kind of highlight that in the conversation. Yeah, as, as as Jeff was saying, you know, we're 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 raising and deploying capital under the fund, and we're also building solutions in in the social finance space, um, and. Uh, and and it's 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 really been largely through through Jeff's leadership. So so I really want to acknowledge um, the thought leadership uh, of our firm, and in, in you know very often expressed through through design work that that Jeff has done. Um, and he's recently uh, become an Ashoka Fellow, um, and and you know tapping into a broader brain pool that of, of folks that that really want to help us. Uh, you know, build the, I, I think the, the level of, of um, rigor that we need uh, in, in this space. And so to, to answer your question, Philip, um, you know, the solutions lab is unique because it is a, a, a co-creation environment. What makes it an innovation lab in large part is mm -hmm. the fact that there are a number of unusual suspects around the same table. In this case, you know, we have First Nations community representatives, representatives from the government of Canada, the government of Manitoba. Mm -hmm. We have invest investors around the table and we have subject matter experts. Um, and, and the case that we're working on right now is 
is focusing on addressing the scourge of type 2 diabetes in, in Northern First Nations communities, um, where issues like food security, uh, you know, are, are, are pretty acute. Yeah. Um, and as you've seen in the media and, and your listeners will have seen in the media, you know, the effect of, of boil water advisories um, and, uh, and, and, you know, combined, uh, you know, you have, uh, you know, indigenous communities that are, that are really struggling from, from a health perspective. So, so the innovation lab brings all of those um, disparate players together mm-hmm. and we literally put indigenous medicine in the middle. We, we actually, uh, Jeff and I both uh, open our bundles, our, our personal uh, medicine bundles, and we have those, those medicines in the middle. And what it represents is that the well-being of indigenous people as defined by indigenous people is in the middle of our work. And then we collectively put our minds together in that container, in the indigenous mindset container, um, and, and co-create an environment where private investors can put capital, where indigenous communities can put that capital to work on solutions that they have defined that work for them. And that when we prove that those solutions work, and that there is a net savings to government, that government pays those investors back plus a return and still realizes a long-term substantive savings for services that they would have otherwise had to pay for that is really about also the, 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 the ongoing generational suffering of our people. So, so the, the, the secret to the success of why it's an innovation lab um, is that it's driven by our communities, it's for our communities, but those solutions are co-created with a whole bunch of stakeholders that have knowledge and interest in an improved quality of life for an Indigenous people and for investors, a healthy return uh, on their investment. So I don't know, Jeff, if, if I've accurately uh, reflected on, our, on our, our journey in that space, but it's important. Yeah, no, but did did a brilliant job. Did, uh, I'll just talk about a couple more elements of that, Philip. Um, that through all that co-creation work and and coming out with an outcomes financing um, method, what we're talking about here is you know four communities in in northern Manitoba and two in Prince Edward Island. But what this is really about is scale. Mm-hmm. What we Type two diabetes is a is a is an epidemic in its own right. It's a crisis. It's growing. Yes, it's ever younger people and ever more of them. And the cost to the healthcare system, which you and I and everybody as taxpayers puts our money into, is enormous. It's it's so enormous it it dwarfs any of the previous thinking in this space around clean energy or other ways to use outcomes financing. Um, it saves government hundreds of millions of dollars. Like it's, it's, it's that extreme. More importantly, it does it by putting the community's priorities and needs at the front and center of it and empowering the community to make, you know, the changes that come along with these interventions, giving it the stickiness that it needs to last over time, which is really the key. What may happen, the one last thing I'll add is well, what I expect will happen is you know, maybe be de facto creating a different sort of financial marketplace for outcomes financing as well at the same time Mm -hmm. Um, on top of what you have as 
either venture capital or private equity or mergers and acquisitions, all of a sudden you may have a social finance marketplace for outcomes purchasing, um, which is an interesting financial innovation in its own right. Okay. I think I love some of the things you've been saying. But I'm going to ask you one big question at the, at the end that each of you can, can do is, you know, you know, and, and both answer it, you know, Jeff, we'll start with you. Um, what's the biggest challenge for Raven Capital in the next five years? I mean, I love, I love the progression. I love what I'm here. I love the progression. It's terrific. You know, it's really exciting. So what, what's, what's the biggest challenge that you see, Jeff, for, for Raven in, in the next five years? I mean, you know, it's interesting. So we're, we're at the early stage of our journey mm-hmm. as Raven, the way I think about it. Um, we've raised capital. And now I think we're in the tough part of deploying that capital and building sort of indigenous uh, value, indigenous wealth with the companies. Mm-hmm. I think sticking true to our purpose, being focused, executing really clearly uh, about that. And then, um, of course, the all-important demonstrating the impact on our people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big challenge. I don't want to undersell exactly how big of a challenge that is to do. All venture capital work is tough. Mm-hmm. And we've taken a path for the upliftment of our communities that I think is tougher, um, but absolutely necessary. So I think the challenge is just you know completing our journey, going down the execution pathway. Um, we've been doing okay during the pandemic. All the businesses have been doing actually well. Um, so um, that's a healthy sign that we, we've got a resilient set of businesses underneath us. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to go get, go out and get a few more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I think the biggest challenge is just doing what we said we're going to do and, and keep going on our path and not getting distracted. Paul, you want to dive in and, and sort of give your perspective? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, lo- I love this question. Um, I, I think that our, our biggest challenge um, is going to be uh, related to being the only the only game in town at, as 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 an indigenous uh, VC um, deploying on an indigenous impact fund um, and and falling into a trap um, where uh, expectations you know far exceed uh, the size of our actual footprint and and so this is a little bit of a take on on Jeff's comment. Um, is that you know the, the, there's so much romanticization about sort of indigenous people and and the potential in this space, um, and you know we're still only at a 25 million dollar uh, fund, um, and so we're only going to be able to deploy a relatively small amount of capital, and I think the biggest challenge is that expectations in the ecosystem have been uh, raised. Um, and, and this is really a trap that people set for Indigenous people who are starting to have some level of success is that you have to be a panacea, that it has to be, a, you know, a medicine for all the ailments, you know. And, and, and I think, um, as Jeff said, swimming in our lane, um, and having right-sized expectations and meeting those right-sized expectations, both both in terms of Indigenous entrepreneurs in Canada that are looking for access to this kind of capital. This is pretty attractive capital. It's patient. Mm-hmm. You know, it's culturally safe. It, it, we're trying to make it gender safe. 
Um, and, uh, and, and there's a ton of support that comes with the money that, that we're able to make available. And it's a small amount of money yet. So, so, so right sizing expectations and then doing a really good job of meeting those expectations in a good way, I, I think is going to be our biggest challenge. So, you know, you're on a national entrepreneurs network here. Uh, who do you feel uh, should connect with you, uh, uh, and access your expertise and funding? Is there a, is there a model or is there, you know, what would you, how would you respond to that? Because lots of people will view and listen to it. I mean, um, I'll jump in, Paul. It's okay. Uh, I mean, I think the one group that I would suggest would connect with us are those sort of indigenous entrepreneurs who have, you know, interesting businesses in the space. As Paul said, we're really in the innovation space. We're looking for innovative enterprises. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to grow and build. Um, those enterprises need the sort of venture capital that we have. Um, other types of, of what often are called mainstream enterprises mm-hmm. um, can access capital a slight bit easier, not totally, but a slight bit easier. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage them to reach out if, if they're looking for uh, an equity investment um, and, and that we'd entertain. We're still placing capital for another can't remember what it is, 14 months, 12 months, 14 months? Mm-hmm. About, about another year and a half, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, now's the time to, to yeah. reach out with your exciting business and let us know about it. Okay. All right. Jeff, Paul, that was really, really interesting. I'm sure, as I said, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get a lot of listeners. Um, and, uh, you know, thanks for coming on and for answering everything so clearly. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was our pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having us, Philip. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you.